In uh, preparation for uh, today's message, we shall be reading from the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verses 4 to 8. That's Hebrews, chapter 6, verses 4 to 8. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gifts and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good work of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. For ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it and produces vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. Good morning to all. Kamusta po kayo? How's your new year so far? Ilang days na lang po before Christmas again? Do you believe in this? That we cannot give what we don't have. We cannot give what we don't have. So if someone asks and someone borrows from you, let's say 100 million or more. And because we don't have this amount of money, we will not be able to lend this or to give this to, to someone who is asking. No, simply we cannot give what we don't have. If someone asks me, Doc, please operate on this person with a brain tumor, well, I, I will say that I will not be able because I, I was not trained. I am not trained. And I don't have experience in doing surgery in such cases. So simply speaking, we cannot give what we don't have. The, um, Matthew, in Matthew, next slide, uh, Jesus speaks to this as we are not able to, or a tree is not able, a good tree is not able to bear bad fruit. You know, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. The flip side of this is we cannot lose what we don't have. We cannot lose something that we don't have. In the study of law, you cannot say that you have lost the right to vote or the right to marry if you haven't reached a certain age. And according to our law, it's the age of 18, no? 18 years old. So you cannot say, I, I have lost the right to marry or to vote unless you have reached that particular age. So simply speaking, again, we cannot lose what we don't have. Now, I started with this because our passage, our message, which is entitled, Dire Warning, is not about losing one's salvation. By the way, this, this text that we have today is one of the most debated texts in the Bible. It's one of the most controversial and one of the most difficult if not the most difficult in Hebrews or in the book of Hebrews and in the whole Bible in general. And uh, we just surrender our, our limitations in understanding to the Lord. Yet at this time, 
I like to establish up front that this is not about someone, a true believer for that matter, losing his or her salvation. This is not about that. We are exposed to a lot of warnings, right? Your gadgets, your appliances, the, the cigarette packs, they have warnings in them. Oh, uh, we are exposed to different kinds of warnings. There are serious warnings uh, that we may encounter, like, for example, the, the warning of a great flood or a typhoon signal bringing about certain uh, uh, situations of, of flooding, etc. And there are also those that are funny, you know, mga warnings that are funny. Like, for example, a private property you are to keep out unless you are bringing in some food or no trespassing, violators will be shot and those who will survive will be shot again. So we are exposed to different kinds of warning. But the most important warning that we are to Take heart is the biblical warning. The biblical warning. And I believe that this is the most important warning that we are to take heed. And this warning is about our eternal destiny. That's why it's the most important kind of warning. Because it, it speaks of our eternal life whether we will spend that life eternal in heaven or in the lake of fire. That's why for me, brothers and sisters, this is the most important warning, the most important biblical warning that we are to really listen to and take heed. The author instructed the recipients to move on from the elementary teachings to more solid food. This is, the, this is what we, we, we studied last time. And just to give a context, no? just to give a little context and a little background, next slide. The original recipients, which is the Jewish church community, being in a in a situation of great persecution during this time that this letter was written. Of course, paulit-ulit, uh, we repeatedly hear from, from the preachings that we are not sure of the, the author of this, of this book. It could be Paul, uh, or it could be Luke, uh, translating in Greek what Paul wrote. No, we, we are not sure. But what we are sure of is the original recipients, which are the Jews, and these Jews are experiencing great physical, emotional, financial, and spiritual persecution. Now, our passage this morning, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 8, is in the greater, in the larger context part of the message last Sunday and the message to be given next Sunday. Now, last Sunday, we talked about in Hebrews chapter 5, the spiritual maturity, spiritual maturity, specifically verses 11 to 14. 
And part of the message last Sunday is the challenge to move on and to grow up and to mature from spiritual immaturity. Today, we will reflect and meditate and study in detail Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 8, which includes the warning on apostasy. We'll explain later, I'll explain later that theological and biblical term. And the picture, the illustration of the, cha- that the, 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 the danger of apostasy. And then next Sunday, uh, we'll talk about the encouragement to persevere by faith in Christ. So our lesson today, our message today is part of that great or that larger context. And uh, it involves the Jewish church community. Now I believe that the key, yung susi po, the key to be able to understand this difficult passage is through the parable of the sower. Now this is the key to be able to understand the parable of the sower. And I'm sure we are all familiar of that parable by Jesus Christ about the sower who sowed the seeds, who, 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 who threw the seeds. Now, in that story, in that parable, we were given that there are two kinds of soil. Actually, there are several kinds, but we can categorize them to, to, uh, to two, no? the good soil and the bad soil. Now, the good soil, this represents the, the true believers that when someone preaches, proclaims the gospel, or, or, or uh, teaches the word of God, these persons, these people whose hearts, you know, whose, whose uh, hearts are like good soil, they will listen, they will receive it, and they will apply these truths in their lives. And so it brings, it results to fruit, to bearing of much fruit. So there's this transformation, there's this picture of maturity, and there's this, this picture of bearing fruit. That's for the good soil. Now, on the other end, we have the bad soil. The bad soil may represent the unbelievers. Now, the bad soil, you may have the pavement where there's really no soil at all. So when the, the, the word of God is preached and proclaimed and shared, uh, it will not even take root. So the, the birds, uh, the enemy will just pluck it out and eat it out and it will not impact uh, them. Another type of bad soil is there's a little soil in it. So there will be some growth, you know, there will be some few roots, but it will not be enough to sustain its life. And so when the heat of the sun, the pressures of this world is so great, it will wither and it will die, bearing no fruit at all. And then there's another better kind of soil where it will grow a little bit together with other bushes, other grass, other thorns. But uh, because of the suffocation effect, because of the the pressure of these other uh, uh, plants surrounding them, it will not also grow, it will die, and it will not bear fruit. Now that is the key in being able to understand what the author would, would, would teach us today. 
So the author instructed the recipients, remember the recipients, these are the Jewish church community, to move on from the elementary teachings to more solid food. And immediately after speaking about growing up and maturing, uh, the, the author immediately talks about uh, or gives a, a meat to them. And this is a, a very hard meat to chew on and perhaps to swallow. He says that all believers should move on and stop focusing on the lessons for babies, the elementary teachings, although they are very important. But it is also equally important to move on and mature and, uh, and for those who have fallen away. In the context, lessons for babies means the teachings of Christ as foreshadowed in the law and the prophets. Now, these are the elementary teachings. The focus should be more on the substance, who is Christ himself, and what he revealed to his apostles, which we find not only in the Old, but in the New Testament. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Covenant. Since the beginning of the epistle, the author explained the superiority of Christ over Judaism. This one major theme of the book of Hebrews, that Jesus Christ is superior, far superior than Judaism, than their religion, their law during that time. In several parts of the letter, he reprimanded and warned them not to fall away. He used those who have fallen away as an example that it was impossible to bring them back to repentance since they openly mocked the Savior. He cautioned that those who fall away would be cursed. And this is the consequence. They would be cursed and they would be burned. The warning. What is the warning given in verses 4, and, uh, four 5, and 6? The warning is this. It is impossible to bring to repentance those who have fallen away. The writer was speaking about those from the community who went back to Judaism. So somehow, in a loose term, there are the backsliders. They have gone back to their religion. They have gone back to what they have believed before, whatever it is. They have come back and gone back to their gods and their false gods, to their religion. And, of course, during that time, the temptation to go back to Judaism, to their former religion, was immense. And the pressure is great. Why? Because Rome recognized Judaism as an official religion. No? Judaism, but not Christianity. So the effect, the result, was that the Jews are under prejudice. They're under discrimination. So if you're a, a Christian Jew, you are not favored. Your business will not be favored. You, you, you will not be supported. No, you, your, your products will not be bought, etc. So it means that the Jews under Judaism suffer significantly less social discrimination compared to the Christian Jews. So that's why it's very easy. It's very tempting it's very convenient to go back to their former religion. 
of course, later on, this persecution would become more great. It will be physical and it will cost some of their lives. It would be severe that it will result to death and physical torture and persecution of the believers. Of course, those with genuine faith, they would not fall away, even in the face of death. They would consider it even an honor to suffer socially, physically, and even die in the name of Christ. So, the author is giving now a warning that there will be those that will fall away. And those who have fallen away will put or have put their very action of, of departing from, from Christ, of falling away, of committing apostasy, that very action is an evidence of them crucifying Christ. Putting Jesus onto that cross to death again. So meaning, it's, it's a total turning of their back from Christ. It's putting Christ to shame. Open and public shame. And they, even if they have witnessed great blessings in Christ. So even in the community, once they, they were part of it, even if they tasted and experienced and shared of these blessings from God himself, they will willfully and deliberately reject him. Now let's look at the, the verses in, in verse uh, 4. It says, therefore, it is impossible that in the case that those who have fallen away, that's the word, okay, fallen away, now, the word is, another word for it is apostasy. Okay? It's a total departure, total separation to restore those again to repentance. So here we have this picture that they have repented in the past. Well, later on we will learn that this repentance may be perhaps a partial kind of repentance or a superficial kind of repentance or even a fake repentance. Because this is, this is what we believe as the Bible teaches us. We are saved by grace alone, right? So it is by God's grace that a person is saved. So it is not our own good works, even how, how good they are, how noble they are, that will save us. It's the work of Christ that will save us. His work in the cross, His death and resurrection. So that if anyone believes in Him, in Christ, and in His, in his uh, complete and finished work, eternal work on the cross, which is enough for us to be saved, then we are indeed saved. It, it goes to show that we are chosen by God. God has elected us. God has, has chosen people to be saved. And once you are, you are chosen by God, hindi nagbabagoan, it will not change. You are secured. You are assured of that salvation forever. Why? Because you are you, you, you receive together with the, the, the you receive the Holy Spirit as a seal, as a promise, as a guarantee of that salvation. And it will not be taken away from the genuine, the authentic believer. It will not be lost. It will not be taken away. But for those 
who did not come into full repentance and faith in Christ, well, in the first place, maybe they have not received salvation at all. And so they have fallen away. And it is difficult, impossible. It's not only difficult, by the way, but it is really, really impossible. It will not happen. It's not like the, the Mission Impossible that we watch with Tom Cruise, no? that uh, the, the mission may happen. It may be successful here. It will never be successful. Impossible to restore them again to repentance. Why? Because they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. So their very act of turning their back from Christ, from departing from Him, it's, it's, it's the evidence that they cannot be restored and they cannot go to repent again. And so what, what are the descriptions of these apostates? These are the, the, those who have fallen away. Uh, let's look at uh, this, uh, this passage. For it is impossible in the case of those I have highlighted you know, the, the words, the pronouns, those, and them, you know, they, themselves. Because the author, if you, if you observe in the first few verses, the author was using the words, the pronouns, we and us. Now, we will do this by the, the God's will. Now, we will endure, we will persevere, we will grow, we will mature. So he's associating with them. Now here, he is putting a clear distinction of these people, those, them. We are, we are not like them. We, they are, they're different. We, we are not them. And so for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted. Now if you, if you read this and we are not careful, this will really look like someone who is a true believer. This can even uh, be someone who is in, in the leadership position in the church, serving in the church. That's why it's very important at this time to read this, uh, looking at ourselves, evaluating and assessing ourselves. Because these people, they have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been limatoy. They have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. They have tasted. Hindi yung tikim lang, but they have really experienced this. However, next slide. If if we look at the if you look at the context, the author described those who have fallen as those who experience these blessings from God, well, because they participated in the community. What? Because they are part of the Christian community. So at first glance, we might presume that these apostates, these people, these fallen away, that they are once believers. But a closer look in the text will not confirm it. So the author chose his words carefully when he described the blessings experienced by those who have turned away. The author was not specific to what? To talk about salvation and saving faith. 
Yet not one of these descriptions confirmed that the apostates experienced true saving faith. So this is not about salvation. Even though as we read along these descriptions, they may look like someone who is, well, a Christian. The author did not state that they were once true believers. Therefore, let us not be quick to conclude without careful analysis. One thing is for sure, these apostates, they, they, they participated in the church community. They were part of the community. It seemed that they were believers, but they turned back to Judaism. Even though they may have understood, they were enlightened, they were made aware of the gospel, they willfully rejected it. The turning back was obviously public in their very act of turning their back from Christ and putting Christ to open shame goes to show that they are not real, authentic, and genuine believers. So some clarifications for our sake. First, they encountered enlightenment. Enlightenment here means that they are made aware. Their, their minds were illumined. Now, just like when, when we discover something new, no? the aha moment. No? Dati, you, you, you did not understand this particular, let's say, uh, principle or truth, and then someone teaches that to you, your teacher, your parents, whatever, your self-study, and then suddenly you, you, you understood it. Wow, finally I understood it. It's an enlightenment. Yet, it doesn't speak of saving faith. So an enlightenment of the scripture, being made aware of the scripture, doesn't necessarily equate to saving faith. Second, tasting, tasted of the heavenly gift. According to scholars, it is not eternal life. It is just being part of the communion, no? the communion, the Lord's Supper, and you have tasted the, the promise of God, and you have partaken of the bread and, and the wine, and you are part of the, the, the communion. Third, partakers of the Spirit. It's not the indwelling of the Spirit. Uh, they may have experienced, they may have seen the work of the Holy Spirit being, pa- being part of the church community, but they were never indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Fourth, they, they have tasted the Word of God and, and they not only heard it, but they may have uh, really studied it. But there's no obedience. There's no, there's no transformation. There's no, there's no change and maturity. And then they have tasted the powers of the age to come and the future hope of, of uh, each genuine believers, which is, well, which in the Bible, in the scripture, uh, eternal life. But it did not speak of saving faith, of salvation. Next slide. And so this is not about these apostates, those who have departed, those who have separated, those who have turned their back from Christ, putting him to shame publicly, uh, they did not lose their salvation because in the first place, they were not saved. They did not have salvation. 
And so, allow me to consider several biblical passages. We, we don't usually do this you know, as we preach, but I like to ask your permission that you allow me to cite certain biblical passages to support uh, this, this truth. Next slide. Uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. No? In the, uh, but before that, no, the, the human perspective is this. Now, the human perspective is that they were enlightened. Now, this is the context. They were enlightened. They were partakers of the heavenly gift. Uh, they, they are partakers. They are sharers of the Holy Spirit. No? And they, they heard the word of God. And they've tasted the word of God. And, and even the benefits of it. No? So for them, in, in the, the human perspective, they appear to be saved. Now, may I ask you to look at each other? So in a human perspective, uh, using our eyes and our brains, no, that, is, that is someone. Uh, and I hope that as you look at each other, we don't only see each other as someone who appears to be saved. But according to God's perspective, ito po yung mabigat, they're actually false believers. So they may appear to be, to be what, Christians, but in the eyes of God, they're not. Why? There's no transformation. There's no maturity based on the context. There's no, there's no fruit, and there's no perseverance. Because the, the truth is, those that God elected, those whom He has saved, chosen, and, and given salvation uh, by faith, they will persevere. Nothing is impossible with God for them because uh, through Christ, through God, they will be able to persevere. But for those who merely profess or say or, or show that they are Christians or believers, they may not persevere. This is the warning. They will not persevere. They will fall away. Because there's no genuine repentance in the first place. There was no total submission. There's no total faith. There's no full conviction. And therefore, in the standard, in the eyes of God, they are false believers. Now let's consider these, these verses. Matthew 7 says there, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. So this is someone who is praying. No? A picture of someone speaking to Christ, no? communing with Him invoking his, his name no? and even relating to him as someone who is master and Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. But in God's perspective, the one who does, who obeys the will of God of my Father who is in heaven will enter. So their, their mere professing, their mere speaking of the name of the Lord will not save them. So it's not just with our lips. It's with our action that is seen, that is evident of our real faith. And in the succeeding verses, Matthew 7:22, many will say to me on that day, on the judgment day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons? Actions na to. These are like gifted na sila. They're, 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 they have tasted the Holy Spirit. They're actually manifesting the, uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit. No? And in you, your name, 
perform many miracles, perhaps healing. Yet, in verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you, leave me, you who practice lawlessness. Wow, no? Grabe, no? So, wow. Even if I am a part of a, a Christian community, I am serving no, in, 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 in the leadership, Yes, it's not a guarantee that you are really saved. Next. And then there is this two apostles. Consider this with me. Judas Iscariot and Peter. Both of them were disciples of Jesus, personally called by Jesus. They, they served along with Jesus. They have seen and perhaps performed a lot of miracles together with Jesus. Both of them, they sinned. What's the difference? Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus. Peter denied Jesus. But Judas Iscariot, although he experienced remorse and guilt, his repentance was doubtful. Why? He took his own life. He did not repent in Christ. He took his very own life and committed suicide. While Peter, yes, he experienced remorse and guilt, but he repented in Jesus. And therefore, he was restored. So will an authentic, a real believer, a real Christian, a genuine Christian sin? Yes, we will. The difference is the Holy Spirit that indwells in us convicts us to confession and repentance. But for those who are false, yes, they will also sin, but it will not bring them to repentance. And so what's the punishment? God will abandon them. It's the wrath of God. It's one of the wrath of God, the wrath of abandonment, and there will be no hope for them. They will not be able to repent again because of their very action of turning their back from Christ. They will not persevere. They will be called apostates. And so, what would be the consequence to the rebels? What's the picture? What's the illustration of those who will fall away? Those who receive the reign of God's blessings in the community should bear fruit, useful in Christ, there's transformation, there's maturity, there's bearing of fruit. But if not, if they produce thorns and thistles, they shall be like a land that is cursed and burned. This is the picture of those who will fall away. Let's look at the verses. For ground that drinks the rain, which often falls on it and produces vegetation, useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed and it ends up being burned. Now, brothers and sisters, allow me to honestly and lovingly say this. All who gather in the community of faith such as this, your growth group perhaps, your, your house church, will receive some form of blessings. That's, that's real, that's, that's true. You will receive some form of blessing. 
You have someone to encourage you. You have someone to pray for you. Perhaps if you are in need of, let's say, a favor or like, uh, for example, uh, medical consult or, or surgery. You know, those, who are, those who can, those who may, they can help you in the community of faith. If you need defending, if you need uh, financial assistance, you, you can receive all these kinds of, of blessings. And some of these divine blessings may come in the form of gospel proclamation, no? meaning you're able to proclaim the gospel. Some people will hear the gospel. The teaching of God's word, therefore, they may grow, they may, they, their lives may be changed. The Holy Spirit's work in the community, they will experience all these works of the Holy Spirit. And even the believer's fellowship, Medyo tumabanga po ako eh, sa, ano, sa, sa mga growth group. No? Uh, kasi there's this sharing or breaking of bread. Uh, so pag minsan wala ka ng ano, pang dinner, join a growth group. Uh, you might be treated for a good dinner, especially if we have the chefs around. Uh, it's only in these kinds of growth groups that I am able to, to taste no? different uh, cuisines. So there's wonderful different kinds of blessings being part of the community. But here's another truth. Fake believers, they will not produce the fruit of obedience. It will not yield obedience. If ever they would try, it would be selective. Like for example, uh, among the Ten Commandments, uh, I think this one I can do it. Thou shalt not kill. But in terms of uh, saying words that are harmful and, and may destroy someone's reputation, I think I cannot do that. I may gossip. I may even say hurtful words and curse them, etc. Uh, I think I cannot do that. And so they will obey only their preferred portions of the scripture. Selective. Parang buffet. Ito lang kainin ko. Ito lang yung masarap. No? So partial obedience, brothers and sisters, is disobedience. It is still disobedience. Partial disobedience or partial obedience is not obedience at all. They would like to receive encouragement from the community. That's good. Now pray for me, help me, support me, encourage me, comfort me. But they always fall short of genuinely contributing to the community. Therefore, pag bahirap na yung buhay, there's, there's persecution in the context of the original recipients, they fall back. They go back to something that is convenient to them. And for our time today, the same reason. Because the fake believers could not there's no real Holy Spirit power behind them. And therefore, there's no fruit, there's no transformation, there's no maturity. So when persecution arises, they will fall away. When the fake followers are offended, they will rebel. They will rebel. They will openly even speak against the gospel Ah, galing na ako dyan. Experience ko na yan. And the community. Why? There is no genuine devotion. There is no real commitment in the first place. There was no sacrifice. And there is no total submission. There is no full conviction. There is no total surrender. 
therefore no power to resist the enemy. Now as we close, as we bridge this gap from the original recipients in their time, which is very applicable in our time today, as we look around in this place, we see hopefully good soil. But we're not sure if there would be bad soil amongst us. There could be false believers amongst us. There could be even false teachers, hypocrites, no, uh, appearing themselves as, as a sheep, but deep inside they're really wolves, ready to devour, ready to take advantage. The Bible also warns us of them. But individually, let us make sure that our faith in Christ is genuine. Can we know for sure that our faith in Christ is genuine and therefore uh, our, our eternity is secured? Therefore, uh, our, our eternal life in heaven is assured? Yes, there is. There is there is faith that is real and that is genuine, a, a, a repentance that is real and genuine. Why? Because it leads to obedience. It leads to, to total obedience, uh, an obedience that is wholehearted. It's a total surrender. By the way, it's not just an emotional surrender. No, you, you cry, you, you, you say these words, you even pray. But there is this following Christ. There is this desire to, to know Christ, to know what He wants us to do according to His word, according to His will, and the desire to follow Him and to obey Him and to be like Him. Our life is not our own. If you have surrendered to Christ, it is Christ's. We are bond servants of Christ. Just as Paul claimed, he was a bond servant. It belongs, our lives belongs to Christ. Even if we lose everything we possess, our business, your work, and let me extend this, your spouse, your children, your parents, your family, we will persevere in our faith. If we profess that Christ is Lord and Savior, yet we do not follow Him with full conviction, then we are fakes. We are, our, our faith is not real. Yes, we might experience blessings, we might experience enlightenment, we may understand scriptures, we may we may be part of a, of a church community and they may enjoy all the blessings that God gives, which is, by the way, can be general to all. You may even have our prayers answered. But these are not proof of saving faith. Being a leader in a church, in a community, is not also a proof of saving faith. Yet the Bible says that in the process of sanctification, we, we, we are given these gifts 
of different gifts so that we can be a part of a community and we can edify one another, we can encourage one another, and we can grow together as a church community. Good works is also a result of a saving faith. You may gain insights from His Word, but if we never grow in sanctification, meaning our mindsets are really not changed regarding sin, regarding adultery, regarding lying, regarding uh, uh, deceiving, gossiping. If our minds are not really changed at all and we don't regard the sins as sin, and we continuously commit them deliberately and willfully, then our faith may be questionable. So brothers and sisters, let us together fear God and continue to fear God and believe in the gospel of Christ. Let us make sure of our salvation. Let us humble ourselves in His presence and let us not take the gospel lightly. Remember the gospel? Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to save. God invested his power to save us from his wrath, from eternal suffering in death through the gospel, through the saving work of Christ. Let us completely submit our whole life to his sovereignty. The result should be faith-filled obedience, which is the result of genuine repentance. Let me say that again. The result should be a faith-filled obedience, which is the result of genuine repentance. Friends, let us not wait for tomorrow. Tomorrow is January 18. The time is now. Today is the day that you should not harden your heart. Let us not harden our hearts. Instead, let us humble ourselves before God. Today is the day, if you are not yet a genuine believer of Christ, make that commitment, make that covenant before God personally. Today is your day, our day of salvation. Pastor Ed would always end his preaching with poetry. So this is his work. So I'd like to quote and share this with you as he has shared this with us. Real or fake by our beloved senior pastor. Read along with me. Are you real or are you fake? This is a question intended for each and every one of us, including me. Are you real or are you fake? Do you partake merely to take? Oh, I hope not for your own sake. I pray you perceive what's at stake. Friends, our, what's at stake is our eternal destiny. Let us make sure. Further, Brother Ed writes, do not live in self-deception. We can easily deceive ourselves and another. Have thorough introspection. Come to Christ in full submission. Repent for your sins' remission. All God's chosen 
shall persevere, ready to face the most severe. Until the end, they shall prevail. Through faith in Christ, they will obey. Shall we all stand and close in a reflective prayer, evaluating ourselves right now at this very moment is our faith and repentance in Christ genuine. Brother, sister, if you're here today and you haven't made that decision, and as you evaluate yourselves with God as the only one who is able to see us and know our hearts and our minds right now, I challenge you to make that decision. Humble yourself before God. And in full trust, in full conviction, in full faith before Him, repent and believe in Christ. Lord, as you have promised those whom you have chosen, those whom you have elected, you have given salvation. You have justified. You have given the Holy Spirit so that we can go through a process of sanctification. And when we die, we receive glorified bodies and share with you heaven and its glory. Yet you have given us countless warnings that those who do not repent and do not believe in your Son, Jesus Christ, will perish and will suffer and will be eternally separated in the lake of fire. Lord, this could be us, or this could be our family or loved ones or friends or classmates or office mates or our neighbor. We could be projecting ourselves as someone who is enlightened, someone who is part of a church community, someone who is even serving or part of your body yet according to your standard according to your eyes we are not and perhaps this would be a very sad and lost opportunity because we have been part of it yet because our repentance and faith may be fake Along the way, we will fall in the reality of this truth. 
as you have written, as you have made known originally in the recipients who are experiencing persecution, we may experience in our time, in our generation today. So for those who are here in this place and those who are listening, watching, and those who will continue to to, to watch and, and see and hear and listen to this message today. Lord, we acknowledge that apart from you, we cannot do anything. It's only by your grace that our minds and hearts are changed. So Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We acknowledge that we are sinners in need of a Savior. We cannot save ourselves. Today, we put our faith in you alone. We turn our back from sin. Thank you for this wonderful gift that you have given us. A new year, a new life, a new chapter, a new beginning where we can grow, where we can deepen, and we can experience you more as you change us through the power of your Holy Spirit according to Christ's likeness. This is what we desire, Lord, for this year, that we will grow together as a church in depth and perhaps in numbers as we proclaim the gospel to others. Pray for my brothers and sisters. I don't know their current struggles right now, but you know us, Lord, and so I ask in behalf that you would provide for whatever need we have right now. At this very moment, we surrender these things to you by faith and with humility. Bless each and every one of us, our families, our work, our business, the things that we do. And may all of this, Lord, Give only honor and glory to you and to your name. All these things we submit in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless us all. See you next Sunday.